there's this huge fear around mediocrity and perfectionism. And people who fear being mediocre and strive for achievement, and that's the only way they define their self-worth, there's so much stress, misery, hustle, burnout, overwhelm in that style of living. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker podcast. I'm Nicole Baker, life coach for perfectionists who want to set goals and actually follow through with them. I went to my first personal development seminar at the age of one. Yes, I was quite literally born into this industry. But by 15, I started to implement this mindset mumbo jumbo I'd heard so much about and it worked. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I've been able to set goals that are way out of my comfort zone and achieve them by doing things imperfectly, without self-judgment, and without the fear of their opinions. And now I help others to do the same. So if you are capital D done feeling like a hostage to this a-hole called perfectionism, then this show is for you. My goal is for you to leave each episode with tactical action steps that you can start to implement in your life now. I may be in my 20s. I may have the voice of a sassier Cinderella, but I've been doing this personal development-ish since I was a toddler. So let's dive in. What is up, my sweet friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Life Coach Baker podcast. I hope everyone is having a beautiful start to their 2022. Um, Mine has been a little interesting, to say the least. I normally record episodes on Wednesday mornings. Um, I normally mention how it's like before the sun is out and like how it's like I it's like my my little Wednesday ritual and I love it. I am actually recording this at 1042 on a Friday because on Wednesday, my voice was shot, (laughs) like completely shot. And it's actually still kind of not doing so hot. If you can hear some of that sweet, sweet lower timbre we're we're having to tap into today. Um, I had someone on a call recently tell me, they're like, your voice isn't, isn't as high as normal. And I'm like, you're correct. That is extremely correct. Because... My fiance and I just recently tested positive for COVID. Hooray. Um, I'll give a little Reader's Digest version of my experience with it. Um, If you do not want to hear it, go ahead and just skip ahead three minutes and no harm, no foul. But um, I just, I I honestly think it's, it's borderline just a, a, a very strange experience. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. It's not been fun. I'll be super honest. But um, my fiance had his booster shot on the 30th of December. And the day after, so it was New Year's Eve, he started feeling like really achy and horrible and just like, like almost where his body felt like it was going through growing pains and his like throat was hurting. And I just looked at him and I was like, man, this, you know, this booster shot's really just hitting you hard. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, I guess so. So we like did our New Year's Eve thing. We stayed up till 10. Like, actually, I think we stayed up till like 1130. So it was like way past our bedtime. Um, But it was lovely. We had a nice little time. And then the next morning, he's still feeling really awful and like has like this like horrible cough and is just feeling like a shit on a stick, to be honest. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, man, this, I guess this booster just really doesn't like you. This is so weird. Narrator. 
it was not the booster. <laughs> it was not the booster at all. Um, by the third day, we both looked at each other and were like, okay, it, we let's go get tested. Something's not right here. So we both waited in line for about an hour and a half. It wasn't too bad compared to some places. Like I know a bunch of my friends in New York who have been like in those like three hour waiting lines, like props to you, my sweet friends. That is a commitment. Um, we brought our switch and we played it in the car and just hung out and just as the line moved, we moved with it. But, um, I was feeling fine on that day until the following day when my throat started tingling a little bit. And I kind of like looked at him like, oh no, <laughs> like, oh dear. And um, that day was like, oh, I'm feeling like a little tired. This kind of sucks. The next day I was like, oh, I'm feeling real rough around the edges. Like this is not okay. Um, something's like my body's definitely fighting something. So I was like, okay, we're going to ease off the ease off the gas. We're going to take a, a good rest day. I'll talk about this again in a moment with segments. And then the day after that, I was dead to the world. Like no shit, Sherlock. The night before I was like, you know, my, my energy was okay. Like it was really just my throat and like a good cough. And um, but that night, it was like a hard Dukes of Hazard, like 90 degree turn, where like, within three minutes, I started getting like chills and aches and like, that like, like growing pain feeling that he was experiencing on the first day. And just like, oh my god, my body feels like it's not attached to the other parts of my body. And it was just not fun. And that was like, one of the worst night sleeps I've ever had. Um, and then the next morning, I this is when things started getting really weird. I went upstairs, like I went up some stairs, and my heart rate just spiked, like so much so where I was like panting like a slug in a dry heat July day. Like it was just like uncomfortable. So I came back downstairs and immediately lay down. And I like looked at my heart rate because I have a I have a nice little Apple watch. And I looked at my heart rate. And, like, laying down, no, like, after a while, it was still at, like, 109 or, like, 115. And I was like, uh, something's not right. So I took the whole day off. I was like, this is a sick day. We are not touching any work. We're not touching anything. We are just resting. My amazing fiancé, he started feeling a little bit better. Um, he came and set up a TV in our room so we could, like, watch things and play games. And it was so sweet. It was just such a sweet experience. And um, luckily, yesterday, now we're into yesterday, started feeling a little bit better, definitely to the point where I was like, okay, like, I feel like I can do like one or two coaching calls, no problem. And it was great. It, it felt fine. Um, just a little bit of that, like, sweet, sweet, flummy stuff and just a little fatigue. And now today, here we are, um, still not feeling at 100%, but at a good, nice little, like, 75. We, we like it. But I, I want to share this experience pretty candidly because... On that very first day where things started really hitting, and I noticed I was, like, dipping a little bit in my, like, energy, and I noticed my throat was hurting a little bit, I thought to myself, I was like, okay, like, should I, should I ease back today? Like, should I not do a full day of whatever? Like, should I kind of, like, take my foot off the gas? And this little voice in my head, this little perfectionism voice in my head said, you can still keep your eyes open. Therefore, you should not ease your foot off the gas. You should actually push harder to prove to yourself that you are um, we- not weak or powerful or whatever. And 
I like looked at this voice and I was like, whoa, like we need to address this. Something's not right here. So I actually ended up did. I did end up taking my foot off the gas quite drastically, actually. And I was like, nope, we are resting. Something's not right. If I'm seeing into the future with what Brett's going through, it is not going to be a fun time in the next 24 hours. I'd rather just ease my foot off the gas. But I'm sharing this because this is actually getting into the segment, how was I imperfect this week? That little voice in my head was just like such high perfectionism. It was insane. It was like this like COVID, I'm not sick enough. Like you're not sick enough to take a day off. And I talked to, actually I was talking to my fiance about this and he experiences this a lot as well. A lot of my friends experience this and I'm willing to bet some of you listeners experience this as well, where it's like, if you're not sick, heavy air quotes, enough, you don't get to take a day off. In fact, you should probably push harder to prove to yourself that you can, that you're not weak, that you can like work through this. And it's just, it goes back to those insanely high expectations that perfectionists put on themselves. And when things get hard, there's this idea that you need to even push harder to like prove that you're worthy, to prove that you can um, be strong and fight through it. And um, I shared that I was imperfect because I looked at this perfectionist thought and I said, Nope, we do not subscribe to that anymore. Now, was it like a flip of the switch and I just totally turned it off and like do 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 went to bed? No, not at all. I journaled about it for probably about seven pages worth of like, I don't know, what do I do? Oh God. And finally, it just got to the point where I was like, wait a second, we are really letting some negative thoughts and some old thought patterns come into your head and really work through it and just take some time to like journal my thoughts out. And we're going to do literally a whole episode on it today. But um, it was really good for me to just kind of take that moment and and write it out. And and it it again, I'd say it takes a moment because uh, there's this thing in personal development where people think like, well, if you're being negative, you just need to flip the switch and be positive. That's called toxic positivity, my friends. It don't work like that. I have this analogy, and I haven't shared it on the podcast in a while, so I think it's time, that when we are in a negative space, when we're beating ourselves up, it's like we have this shovel in our hands and we're digging a hole. Let's say this hole is 10 feet deep and we finally realize like, whoa, I'm digging myself a hole right now. I'm beating myself up right now. So we drop the shovel. But there's this weird expectation that, okay, well, I realized I dropped it. I realized I'm in a hole. I, I've dropped my shovel. So I need to jump into the sky. I need to jump from 10 feet below ground into the sky high so that I can be happy guru pants or so that I can be a good citizen or right? so I can be worthy and positive and uplift for other people, whatever it is. And that is just so not realistic because what happens if you try to jump into the sky from 10 feet under? You're going to fall flat on your face is what's going to happen. And so people fall flat on their face and then beat themselves up and try to jump higher and jump higher and jump higher. And then when it doesn't work over and over and over again, it's like they pick up the shovel and they dig themselves more of a hole. So I share this because I believe so wholeheartedly that whenever we're in the hole and we realize it, we get to now build stairs to get us out of the hole, to get us to solid ground, and then we get to jump into the sky. There are so many steps in between that people forget about because they just hear this like flip of the switch and then everything changed. And I, I really think it it weighs so heavily on perfectionism because then it's a new standard to live by. It's this new expectation that if you're sad, you need to flip a switch, jump into the sky and be happy. And if you can't do that, then you're even more of a failure. And I think that's so unfair because there's so many steps in between that people don't talk about 
And um, that's part of the thing that I'm devoting my life's work to is those in-between steps, like really not glamorizing, but, but highlighting them because people don't talk about them enough. And so what did I do? I journaled it out. I took some time to build some stairs to really analyze that thought that was going through my head of like, you're not sick enough to take a day off and challenge it and really talk it out and like see where it was coming from and see why it was really prevalent in my head. Now, I was able to journal this out in just a few minutes because I've literally devoted my entire life's work to this work. For you, it might take a little bit longer and that's okay. Like, so okay. It can take 90 minutes. It can take four hours. It can take four days. But just know that there's that end of the tunnel. Because what happens is, like, if you say, if I can't flip the switch in the next 35 seconds, then I'm a failure. You give yourselves those 35 seconds. You say you're a failure. Great. Pick up the shovel and keep digging. Whereas if instead you give yourself that time and that grace to, like, really move through it, let's say it takes four hours that it gives you just this like huge break of pressure and allows you to really like move through that feeling. So that's how I was imperfect this week. I took I took some time to really challenge that thought and it felt really 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 good. By the way, I came to the conclusion that I was thinking in 100 or 0%. No in between. And I was saying that either I have to be 100% on and like push through hustle, hustle, hustle during work, which is why we're doing this episode. It's freaking ridiculous. Or I have to be 100% off or 0%. I have to be resting. I have to be taking care of myself. I have to be doing no work, no, um, no things that make me feel good and fueled, quote unquote. And I realized there's this whole percentage range in between. And I was like, okay, what if today, what if I just did 30% today? And like, just took took my foot off the gas, just did 30%. And it was like, oh my God, that feels so good. And then the next day, I felt like shit on a stick. And I was like, great, I'm going to do 2% today. Just 2%. My one and only job is to keep myself alive today. And I did that, no problem. Then the next day, I was feeling so much better. And I was like, okay, maybe I can bump this up to like 50 or 60%. By the way, I did. I did not slam my foot on a gas and demand 100%. I did 50 or 60. And it felt so much better. And I think it's one of the reasons that my body is now in such a place where it's healing, like in such a short amount of time. I know my voice sounds a little rough and ready around the edges, but trust me, my energy is a completely different space from where it was two days ago. So my thing to celebrate this week or my my small goal we're celebrating is I took some sick days. I did not beat myself up for them. In fact, I felt like this outpour of love for myself because of how much I saw it healing my body. And when I was deep in my perfectionism numerous years ago, I remember whenever I took a sick day or I'm going to say it differently, whenever I had to take a sick day. I would beat myself up into oblivion about it, which by the way, did not help my body heal. It put more stress on my body, which made it harder for my body to heal. In fact, quick story time. In college, I was so sick. I like got the flu or some kind of like just really rough and ready thing where I was down for the count for about two weeks. 
But about, uh, I'd say about a week, maybe a little less than a week into it, I was so stubborn around people helping me. I had this like glorified image of like, if I don't ask for help, then that means I'm worthy and strong and a real independent woman. And so I wouldn't let anyone help me, even though people around me were like, can I get you some Gatorade? Like, you look like a snowman. Like, can we get you some food or like some chicken noodle soup? Or like, what can we get you? And I was like, no, 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 no. I got it on my own because I'm, that makes me feel better. That makes me worthy as a human being. Whatever. We worked through that. And till finally, I couldn't get up out of my bed because I would just literally fall right back down, that I had to call one of my friends and say, I, I need to go to the emergency room. Something is bad. Like something's not right. And I was so incredibly dehydrated that they had to hook me up to one of those like IV machines and pump fluids into me because I was so stubborn and so rooted in my perfectionism because I had such a high expectation of myself to provide for myself because that made me worthy and asking for help was weak. We have worked through this, by the way. This is like a really extreme example. But I, I learned something huge that day. It's like when you're sick, you're allowed to ask for help. And that seems like such a, an obvious thing, but so many people don't have that example. Now, you don't need to go to that extreme to learn that lesson. In fact, I really freaking hope that you don't. But this experience that I just went through is just like, wow, I can ask for help in so many different ways. And one of those ways I can ask for help is by laying down and letting my body heal and enjoying it and enjoying allowing myself to heal. And it was it was so great. So there we go. That's my COVID story. Here, here we are. <laughs> um, I really hope everyone is feeling good and staying safe. This sucks. I'm not going to lie. It does not feel good. Um, but I really, I really and truly hope everyone is staying safe and, and feeling good. I know it hits everyone differently. And some people it doesn't hit at all, which congratulations, that's freaking amazing. Um, but I know a lot of people are getting this recently. So I think that that might help. If you have a COVID story and you want to share it with someone, please feel free to DM me. I'm honestly fascinated at how this is hitting everyone differently. Um, it's it's just very, very interesting. So let us dive in to the actual meat of the episode, which is hustle culture and why it's so freaking addicting. Let's start with first just getting everyone on the same page. What is the definition of hustle? I looked this up and we looked it up on the good old-fashioned Google, but the very first definition of hustle is force someone to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specific direction. There's the informal in North American way, which is obtained by forceful action or persuasion. So hustle is this idea of like, hurry, this idea of force, this idea of like um, uh, motivation, but it feels like motivation in a very negative way, almost like from a place of lack, where like you're lacking something, so you have to get it right now. Um, And I think that's a really common way of looking at it. And a lot of the times I see these things about like, you have to hustle in order to get what you want. And what I've seen from people who do this is and I I say this not lightly, straight up misery. When people are going after things from a place of hustle, it's because they're only looking at what they're lacking. And they think that by obtaining this thing that they're hustling towards, that's going to make them happy. 
Now, there's so many different reasons why this does not work, but that's not really what we're focusing on today. I want to talk about why hustle culture, specifically for perfectionists, why it's addicting. Because it is. Perfectionists survive off of these extremely high standards from themselves that are normally above and beyond these like human abilities. Normally, those standards revolve around how you're supposed to achieve all the freaking time. How you're supposed to constantly be at this maybe energy level, or maybe you're supposed to be at this productivity level, or maybe you're supposed to be at this level of caring for others. It's this insanely high expectation, and the the expectation looks differently per person. Maybe it's staying busy for 24-7. I talk to a lot of artists who think that in order to be hustling towards their dreams, they have to be practicing for like four hours a day. Um, by the way, if you have full-time jobs and you're an actor in like a major city and you're working like three jobs, that's really hard to do. And you'll lose your freaking mind if you do that, by the way. But I digress. Um, There's this identity, though, for perfectionists around achievement. I'm someone who's a high achiever. I'm an overachiever. Or there's this like sense of purpose or pride that comes from achievement. Now, don't get me wrong. That's human. It's human to have a sense of pride around achievement. But when it's something you crave in order to feel worthy, that's the difference. That's a huge difference there. And in fact, it comes from a lot of the times, not all the time, but a lot of the times, it comes from when we're kids and we get this high praise from achieving a higher standard. Maybe it's an A on a test. Maybe it's getting the lead in the musical. Maybe it's uh, first string in football or whatever it is. But you get this high praise for achieving something great. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. When we are children, I'm going to even go back further, when we're babies and we get high levels of attention, that means we get to keep surviving. If we don't get any attention, we do not keep surviving because as babies, we can't provide for ourselves. We can't get our own milk, food, or anything like that. We have to rely on other people. So when we do something and we get a lot of praise for it, we make this attach, again, this is not always, but most of the time, we make make this attachment in our brain that says, ooh, when I achieve something or when I do something good or above standard, I get praise. I get attention. Therefore, if I get attention, I keep getting to survive. This is Huge, huge stuff here, guys, because when we start realizing, oh, a lot of our, a lot of us are just walking around with like baby level subconscious minds, which yes, that is true. A lot of us are walking around with baby to, actually it's about seven or 12 is when our subconscious mind stops fully growing. Um, when we stop taking that information and then we realize, oh, we're just a bunch of adults walking around with like seven, five to seven-year-old levels of conscious minds that equate these certain things to survival, it, it gives us a little bit of the pressure off that it's like, oh, this isn't my fault. This is just how my brain works. This is just how the brain works. So there's a huge reason why this is addicting, but I want to talk about why now it's hard to quit. Because along with that same level of When I achieve, I get to keep surviving. I want to flip it. If I lower my standards, if I stop achieving, 
then I don't get the praise. If praise equals survival in our like primal brain, then that means if I lower my standards or if I stop achieving, I die. Now, our brains are very dramatic, and you might be thinking like, whoa, Nicole, that's a lot. Here's the deal. A lot of us are equating getting out of our comfort zone, um, not getting attention, not getting love, being thrown from the pack or being lonely, um, being ostracized from society. We are all a bunch of primal beings still in 21st century bodies. Our brains have not evolved that much to view um, posting a photo on social media and not getting enough likes, our brains have not evolved enough to view that as something different from I'm being ostracized or I'm not being cared for or I'm not achieving, therefore I die. This is some heavy stuff, and I don't say this stuff lightly. I do make a little lightness of it because it is a little bit like, wow, oh my God, our brain is like so dramatic. But there's a reason because it keeps us alive. So it's so addicting because we have these extremely high standards. And if we lower them, our brain views that and in its automatic way as, oh, my God, I could die. Oh, my God, people could stop praising me. Therefore, I wouldn't get attention. Therefore, I'd be ostracized from society. Therefore, I'd be um, not cared for or loved. Therefore, I would so many different things. New Year's resolutions are here. Now, whether that fills you with excitement or total dread, did you know that 90% of New Year's resolutions fail by February? February! And that percentage only gets higher for perfectionists. You know, because all of that, all or nothing, not being productive equals I'm lazy, high expectations crap that you're so used to. Now, if you listen to this podcast, I know you're reaching for more more goals, more stepping into your own power, more fuck yes, I'm awesome moments in your life. And of course, less perfectionism. That's why this New Year's, I don't want you to fall prey to the resolution doom. In Goal Smasher, my goal setting course specifically made for perfectionists, hi, that's you, you'll learn exactly how to clarify those big, bad, beautiful, high expectation goals that you have. You'll learn exactly how to start pursuing them without burnout, overwhelm, or procrastination. Plus, you'll learn the personal development secret sauce that turns I don't wanna into I can and I will, creating consistent motivation for yourself. P.S. This is the biggest reason why New Year's resolutions fail, and we have an entire module devoted to it. You can literally start the first lesson of Goal Smasher today. Literally, you can start diving into it right after you listen to this episode. Get your hands on Goal Smasher by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash Goal Smasher or by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. We've gotten comfortable pushing ourselves to um, go extreme, but like pushing ourselves to burnout every single day because that means you're worthy. Hear me on this again. We've gotten so comfortable because of a survival technique. We've gotten so comfortable pushing ourselves to burnout every single day because that means in that case, you're worthy, you're achieving, you're loved. One of my favorite quotes, and I think I say this every episode, and I have a lot of favorite quotes, but this is a really, really good one, was actually something I saw from Mel Robbins a few days ago, and it was, It takes years to form a habit, 
So don't get mad at yourself when it takes more than a day to break it. It's so hard to quit this like high achieving, pushing yourself to burnout or like thinking that if you don't achieve X, then you're a failure. It's so hard to quit this level of habit because it is a habit. It's something that's addicting, addictions or habits. Um, because if we don't break it on day one, there's this level of like, well, you failed. Again, because of those insanely high expectations. If you don't break it on day one, you're a failure. You might as well stay in your old pattern, which is safe, right? If we are, if we find so much safety or comfort in pushing yourself to burnout or pushing yourself to achieve these insanely high standards every week, if you found so much comfort in it from years and years and years of trial and error and practice and practice and getting praise and praise and praise, if you found so much comfort in it, it's going to be hella uncomfortable to slow down or, I'm going to put this in heavy air quotes, lower your standards. Because technically, you don't need to lower your standards. It's not about that. It's about not defining your self-worth by only hustling. Now, recently I've been reading this book called Overcoming Perfectionism. And let me grab the authors real quick. It's by Raj Shafrin, Sarah Egan, and Tracy Wade. It's a three, three-parter. It's all by cognitive behavioral therapists. But it's a fascinating book. And I picked it up because I was like, I really want to learn more about like really, really nitty gritty perfectionism mindsets. And I mean, this book is insanely good. I'm maybe a hundred pages in. It's a beefy, it's a beefy boy, but um, I highly recommend it. It's this like bright pink cover with like some uh, white and like a little pink triangle. But I, I so recommend this book. It's fascinating. But on one of the pages, they talk about what are some examples of lowering, um, again, heavier quotes, lowering your standards and why it's so freaking terrifying? And I actually want to read some of the examples right now because I read them and I was like, oh my God, like this hit me like a ton of bricks because A, I used to believe these in my heart and soul. And B, I see these in my clients and people in this community all the time. So I'm going to read these out. And again, this is from Overcoming Perfectionism. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend you guys get your hands on it. But some examples about lowering your standards and concerns around lowering your standards are, if I lower my standards, I will let myself completely slip and not perform at all. If I lower my standards, I will become lazy. I don't want to be a slacker. If I lower my standards, others will think I have let myself go. If I lower my standards, others will not praise me for doing well anymore. If I lower my standards, this will result in me losing everything I value, example like a job or a relationship. If I lower my standards, I will be overwhelmed with anxiety. If I lower my standards, I will stop achieving. If I lower my standards, I will not progress in life. And my personal favorite, if I lower my standards, I will be average. There's this huge fear around mediocrity and perfectionism. And people who fear being mediocre and strive for achievement, and that's the only way they define their self-worth, there's so much stress, misery, hustle, burnout, overwhelm in that style of living. So 
We have talked about the problem. The horse is dead. Put the stick down, Nicole. Again, I highly recommend you guys get your hands on this book. It is fascinating. It is not only making me, I believe, a better coach, but it is allowing me to spot so many more examples of perfectionism in every day. Something I read recently, actually, wasn't in this book. It was in something else. It was in an article from like 2019, I believe. Um, But it was saying how over a third of the people on this planet, not just in North America, not just in whatever, on this planet are perfectionists. Now I'm going to throw in a little Life Coach Baker statistic that is super not researched, but just a a hunch based off of the research I've done and the the people I've talked to. I'd say probably two-thirds of that third do not think they're perfectionists. They actually, uh, they, they love that they're such high achievers. And I agree, there's so much things to love and there's so much, you know, pride in being a high achiever. But there's such a huge difference between hustling for that high achievement, aka only finding joy and fulfillment and ease and pride when you are achieving. And by the way, the whole time you're focusing on everything you don't have, that that hustle mindset, you're pushing and pushing and pushing until you achieve. And then two minutes later, you're like, well, I don't have my next level, so I'm therefore not there yet. So hustle, 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 hustle. I one time asked a client, how long do you actually celebrate yourself for? And she was kind of taken aback. She was like, how long? Oh, God, like a minute? And I was like, what do you do then? Like, what after that minute of celebration, what's next? She goes, I asked myself that exact question. What's next? I set a new bar, and I'm not at that bar yet. Therefore, I'm not done. And I was like, so then what do you do? She goes, I push myself to get to that next level. And then the cycle continues. And I see this all the time. In fact, actually, something really cool happened yesterday. I was on a coaching call with a client. And she was saying how she was feeling really burned out and tired and exhausted. And she was like, I feel like I'm slipping back into my habits of like six months ago. And I'm like, are you actually slipping back into those habits? She goes, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, well, here's the difference. Six months ago, even up to a year ago, you didn't know these habits were negative patterns of behavior. Therefore, you kept living in them. Now you have the awareness that slipping back into these habits does not serve you anymore. And therefore, you get to make a very conscious decision of what to do next. What does this have to do with hustle culture? Because a lot of the times, here's what I hear when we talk about this idea of like, I need to achieve, I need to achieve. People immediately think, okay, well, I get that that's the problem. How do I fix it? And I'm like, here's the annoying thing. You fix it by becoming absolutely 100% aware of it. I bring up this example from my client yesterday because awareness often gets neglected as a growth step. People think that awareness is just like, oh, okay, I'm aware of it, then we're back to base level zero, and then I get to move forward. No, 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 no. Awareness is huge. Because what happens is if you have, I'm going to take this client, for example, six months ago, her burnout patterns of behavior, which by the way, were pushing herself to this unreasonable standard, those burnout patterns of behavior are so habitual 
And when something is so incredibly habitual, your brain actually turns off. It saves energy. It thinks about other things. It, it goes on such autopilot because it's very efficient. Our brain loves efficiency. So when something is so on autopilot, it actually turns off. So you're not even aware that you're doing that pattern of behavior. It lives in somewhere called the basal ganglia. It's like the center of your brain, the, the um, hub of all habits, if you will. When you're aware of something and you catch that awareness, especially in the moment or even right after, if you catch that awareness or you catch that pattern of behavior, it moves from the basal ganglia and it moves to somewhere called the prefrontal cortex, which is where you make all your decisions. It's where you make all your like conscious uh, thoughts happen and, you know, make decisions off of that. So this is huge because if something goes from habitual to conscious, you're allowed to make a new decision. If something's still habitual, you're not even aware that there's a decision to be made. Your brain's turned off in that way. But if you get to move it to the prefrontal cortex, aka if you've made it aware, if you're aware of this pattern of behavior, you get to make a new decision. So I actually argue awareness is the most important step there ever is to changing especially this pattern of behavior. So something as simple as when you're in the prefrontal cortex, reminding yourself, you know what? I'm safe even when I'm not striving for achievement. Kind of turns off that survival brain. Something like, um, actually, I'm, I'm going to even change it up a little bit. There's a difference between hustle thoughts, aka I need to strive for achievement in order to survive, versus working smart thoughts. AKA, I'm working a little bit every day. I'm growing a little bit every day. And I get to do it from a place of peace, ease, contentment, self-assurance, self-worth, knowing that it's inside me, not only when I achieve something. There's huge differences between these both. But they both get to strive for achievement. Here's something I see often with perfectionists who are so embedded in hustle culture. They believe that if they take away that need to achieve, that they're going to become mediocre, or they're going to stop achieving, or they're going to stop reaching these high standards. And I'm going to, super blunt, it freaks them the fuck out. I am so right in this category. I believed for so long that if I lowered my standards, or if I stopped striving for achievement every single day, that I was going to be not the high achiever that I immersed my identity in. It was terrifying. But there's such a huge difference between striving for achievement from this place of lack, fear, needing it to survive, and from a place of growth, joy, fulfillment, contentment, self-assurance every day. So here's some examples. Hustle thought. If I don't get this done, people will think I'm lazy. Working smart thought. I chip away at this one step at a time. Hustle thought. I'm behind. Working smart thought. I'm growing more every day and I'm exactly where I need to be right now. Hustle thought. If I'm not burnt out, then I'm not trying hard enough. Working smart thought. I get to end the day with energy left over. Hustle thought. I have to be the best. Working smart thought. 
I'm allowed to be a beginner, and I get to learn along the way. Hustle thought. I have to be perfect on the first try. Working smart thought. I can make mistakes and learn from them. So the moral of the story is, if you are someone who is striving for that achievement and you realize that a lot of your self-worth is attached to it, there's a lot of things you can do. First of all, you can start working with someone. I, I put this one first because I think this is the most important and most beneficial one that can be working with me as a perfectionism coach. That can also be working with a therapist. It can be working with a mentor. It can be talking to someone. It can be also reading a book. I've mentioned that Overcoming Perfectionism book that I saw. It is on Amazon. I'm sure it's on Barnes & Noble. I'm sure it's in a lot of bookstores. I highly recommend this book. It is so good. But please start asking for help. And if there's a little bit of you, like me, who who, who used to have this little demon inside of me that was like, if you ask for help, that makes you weak, ask yourself, 10 years from now, Do you want to still believe in that thought? Do you want to still live by that? Imagine how much further you can be in life if you actually asked for help. That's a really hard lesson to wrap your head around, but to be honest, it is probably one of the most important I've at least ever learned. So number one, start talking to someone about this because this is a really big kahuna, my sweet friends. You can also start journaling about this. You can also start listening to more podcasts about this. This podcast talks a lot about this idea of like striving for achievement and how that is a really positive quality. But if it comes from this place of I need to hustle because I'm not enough unless I achieve things, that's when we get into that like, ooh, wait a second, let's talk about this, right? So moral of the story This is not a way you have to live. This is not a way that is sustainable, enjoyable, fulfillmentable, if you will. But it also takes a while to rewrite. Again, back to that Mel Robbins quote, it takes years to form a habit. So don't beat yourself up if you can't get it right on the first day. Please know that this is going to take some uncomfortable action for sure. And it's going to take some rewriting of that new belief. You get to still be a high achiever. Don't get me wrong. You get to still be a really high achiever. But you don't have to have that pressure, that immense fear or lack hovering over you all the time. It gets to be a lot more easy. It gets to be a lot more fun, enjoyable. And you get to still have energy at the end of the day. That was honestly one of the biggest shifts for me. It's like, wow, I can end the day with energy. Wow, that feels so good. So if this episode blew your mind or if it added you hard, please share this with someone or share this with a friend, share this on social media or that group text that you always send perfectionism or Enneagram memes to each other. Share this episode with one person, minimum one person, because I guarantee you this is a lot more common of a problem than you think it is. But like we said in the episode, awareness is one of the biggest, biggest messages that we can get across in our brain. And it's just, it's the all important first step. 
but I need a little help with that. So my ask of you guys is to share this with one person, share it on social media, share it with that group text that you love so much that you always send perfectionism means to. And most importantly, take the stuff from this episode and act on it because you guys so deserve it. I love you all so very much. I hope you have an amazing day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Don't forget to check out Goal Smasher, my step-by-step technique to help you set clear goals, create an overwhelm-free plan, and learn the secret for keeping your motivation consistent and high. Check it out by going to the link in the show notes or by searching lifecoachbaker.com forward slash goal smasher. Also take a moment to rate the podcast and write a review. It is the best way to get the word out there. Plus you'll get the chance of having your review read on the show. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.